Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And this week we have a very special episode where I'm talking to Melissa Sinclair about, man, I was going to say running, but maybe enduring, that's a better word, about enduring the Tahoe 200 mile race. 200 miles around Lake Tahoe over mountains, through the woods, probably through creeks and mud and dirt and all that fun stuff. It's a fascinating story. If you want to hear about hallucinations in the middle of running, tune in because, spoiler alert, there's a whole bunch of hallucinations that happen if you're trying to run a 200-mile race in 90 hours with, with no sleep. And it got me thinking about elementary school gym class. And there was twice a year in elementary school gym class that was dreaded by every single elementary school kid. And that was the mile run. And I remember at my elementary school, Colorado Elementary in Muscatine, Iowa. I don't know why it's called Colorado. Don't ask me. But we would go out to pass the playground out by the soccer fields and there would be a course set up and it was I think it was a half mile course so you ran around it twice and I remember every single time before the mile run your heart would just be beating you'd be so nervous to run one mile and one mile seemed so incredibly far that it was almost hard for the third graders brain to comprehend And the teacher would say, go, and every single kid would start sprinting out of the gate until the first curve. (laughs) They'd be like, they'd sprint for about 100 yards, and then it would curve, and then about half the kids would be like, why am I sprinting? This is stupid. And they would just start, you know, slowly jogging or walking. But I'm ultra competitive, and I can't just be okay with having people pass me if someone passes me something kicks it clicks in my head that I'm just gonna catch that person no matter what no one's passing me ever and so during the mile race someone would pass me and then I'd be like oh I gotta kick it into third gear and I'd start sprinting some more and needless to say you'd get to the end of the race and you'd fall down on the ground Gasping for air like a fish. If you're ice fishing, you throw a fish out on the on the ice, they just start flopping. That's what you'd be like after one mile. <clears throat> and that was my experience running, uh, I guess like endurance running until post, well not post, until, you know, you'd sign up for some races here. There's some 5Ks and stuff through high school. But <clears throat> eventually, I wanted to get into running, um for a workout because it's a great way to stay healthy and I remember my freshman year of college going out for like a three mile run in Waverly Iowa in the winter so it's cold and I remember the three miles seemed like the longest three miles of all time I was I couldn't breathe by the end of it I was like blasting gangster rap music to try to numb the pain in my legs as I was slowly jogging back to my dorm Eventually, those runs became five miles, so I just stuck at it, and man, I wasn't a fan of running. 
it was painful. It was horrible. I just couldn't enjoy it, but I would stick at it because I knew it's a great way to stay in shape and, you know, burn off calories and all that fun stuff. So eventually three miles turned to five and then I started liking it. I was like, whoa, I kind of need this to like relieve some stress. And five turned into, you know, a long run, 10 miles. And then I signed up for my first half marathon. And then eventually I heard about ultra marathons from the book Born to Run. And I thought, I think I might be able to withstand this. And so I signed up for my first 50K. And it seemed so incredibly far. And it still does. 50K is crazy distance. And it's so crazy that, and I, I know what I feel like after 50K. My legs hurt, my feet hurt, my muscles, like you can barely bend them. So I know what that feels like. And I just can't imagine 200 miles. And so today's conversation with Melissa is a great like entrance into maybe comprehending what a 200 mile race takes. And I don't know if I still comprehend it, but Melissa does a great job explaining it. She ran it even more impressively the whole entire time with her husband. And just relationship wise, man, you got to learn so much about the person you love by going through an extreme endurance race that I'm sure it's positively affected the relationship. But finishing 200, extremely impressive. Finishing 200 and staying in love with your significant other the whole time, it's so much more impressive. It's like 10 times more impressive. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I was completely fascinated. Melissa sounds like a great person. Her husband sounds like an amazing guy. Um, it's inspired me to definitely challenge myself, step outside my comfort zone, and maybe sign up for some some events that scare the crap out of me. <laughs> so here you have it. Uh, like a Bigfoot podcast number 13, Melissa Sinclair. All right, Melissa. Um, what was your mindset when signing up for the Tahoe 200? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of right off the hop. Um, I mean, setting up for this 200, this is the biggest race I've ever done uh, in one go. Uh, so for us Canadians, it's even a bigger number of being 330 kilometers rather than 200 miles. So extremely intimidating. Um, but definitely at a stage where I'm always looking to grow, always improve and push myself further. Um, every ultra marathon is hard, as runners know. Um, but this brought in a whole new playing level of racing and um it was something that i definitely wanted to like challenge myself with had been through a lot over the last two years living overseas and coming back i definitely wanted to keep that growing going um so with doing the tahoe 200 that was one way to keep myself accountable to keep pushing myself forward yeah so did you kind of do i guess i'll call it the natural progression of ultra running where you do a marathon you're like all right i can do that now they do 50k 50 mile 100 mile? Did you do that whole thing or? No. <laughs> yes. That, That's what I was hoping for. Through caution to the wind. How it first started out was my husband um, 
had just got into ultramarathon running when I first met him. Um, so when we were dating, he uh, jumped right into the Canadian Death Race, which is a 120-kilometer race um, as his first one ever. And I was heavily involved in soccer at that time. Um, okay. Still fit, but not really doing the whole trail running thing. I just did it for my own training, not competing. Somehow he convinced me to sign up for my first race um, after a phone call, which was the Mount Robson Marathon, uh, marathon right up a mountain, as it says. And uh, I had a three-week heads up for that. <laughs> so that was jumping really into it. And then my one after that was a 100-kilometer one. And then later that year, I did a 100-miler. Oh, man. Okay, so I guess you had a base of training from soccer. Yes. Right, so... I mean, how many miles do you think you run during a soccer game? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I mean, you run, like, quite a few, but it's a, it's definitely a different dynamic. Uh, like, start, stop, go, yeah, yeah. you know, faster or not. Um, so, I mean, within an hour and a half game, running, like, maybe an hour of it type of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I used to play rugby, and they said, like, six to seven miles which i always thought was insane i'm like how am i running that much this is crazy <laughs> um yeah so you had the base so what did you do to train in that few uh, weeks <laughs> oh for that my first yeah. one i just ran a lot i had yes. no idea what i was doing at that time i mean i didn't know about strength training i didn't know about uh intervals i didn't know about um elevation anything like that i was like you know what? i'll just do the same run every single day <laughs> Every day, no rest days. Yeah. The more running I do, the better I'm going to become. And you know what? It worked for that scenario, but definitely is not something I'd recommend to everyone. Yeah. Um, definitely have fine-tuned the training process from that first ultra marathon until now. So I guess we'll just jump right into the 200 because that's insane. Um, how did you train for it? Um, it was a lot of time on the feet, actually. Yeah. Uh, so this one, uh, and it wasn't necessarily all running time, uh, which is a bit weird for me. Um, doing a lot of like running before in races, it was more about how long can you run, how fast you can run. This is more about how long you can go on your feet. Uh, so there was a bit of walking, which mentally was pretty difficult because you just felt like you're going so slow, and it was kind of a waste of time. Yeah. But it was good physically, um, just keeping yourself on the feet, obviously, but then also mentally having that um, precaution in your mind on if you go too fast off the start, well, you're going to kind of <laughs> screw yourself over yeah. when you get to mile 60, let alone mile 148 Dude, or something imagine. like that. Yeah, so a lot of fast packing. Okay. Uh, a lot of, I work from home, so a lot of just standing on my feet while working. Um, strength training too, huge. Uh, so I'm a big advocate of yoga, um, strength training yoga, which is awesome. That helped a lot. Um, I mean, this Tahoe 200 race had over 85,000 feet of elevation change. Um, so it was it was a good up and down one. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so... I guess, so you did this with your husband, right? I did that, yeah. So, so is he doing the same training regimen as you, or is he doing something completely different? Uh, we do the same one, pretty yeah. much. So, I mean, like, some days I'll go on a run while he does, like, yoga, just based on, like, how we're feeling. Yeah. Um, but pretty much we run together, we train together. I mean, if we're going to get stuck together for four days straight in a race, we got to kind of pre-inoculate ourselves for that type of scenario <laughs> and um, test it out during training. So, yeah. And it's a good it's a good motivator. Uh, you have someone getting you out the door on days you don't feel so good. That's true. And then vice versa. So did you, 
<laughs> so when you say test it out, like you're talking about emotional, right? Like more than physical. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, running 205.5 miles with anyone, um, is a tough thing, but for us, there's a lot of benefits that come with running together. This is actually the first race ever that we had a crew. So usually we just crew ourselves because we have one another and drop eggs. Yeah. Um, but for the Tahoe 200 with the beast that it is, we're like, ah, having some backup might be a good idea being out in the mountains for four days. Um, but the benefits that come from it are awesome because when you're feeling down, you have someone else to push you. There's a rare time when we're both feeling crappy. Yeah. Uh, so there's someone to elevate the other person. Uh, Protection-wise, obviously, when you're in that big of a race, a lot of things can happen wrong up in the mountains. So you always have that other person to report to someone if need be. Um, and then, like, the simple things, you know, checking that, like, he's eating enough calories while we're going and the simple stuff that keeps you on track and can really make a difference at the end of the race. Um, but then of course you also have someone that you're like with like 24 seven during the race. So you got to like mentally think that through too. Yeah. Um, but we've done enough together that we've kind of found the jive with it. In the beginning, there's a bit of testing out like, Hey, like you're way too talkative on the uphills. So let's <laughs> stop that. <laughs> um, and I'm in a pretty crappy mood right now because haven't had anything to eat for a couple hours. So let's just like not talk here. And um, yeah, we, we found each other's kind of personalities throughout and work with that. Yeah, I, th I, I bet you learned so much about him. <laughs> oh my gosh, you see every side of someone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great for relationships. I People think I'm nuts when I recommend running with your spouse, even if it's not a 200 mile race, even doing a small one day race. Um, you just learn so much about each other, especially if you've like been in a relationship for quite a while and you think you know everything about someone, run an ultra marathon with them, then you'll really know who yeah. they are. I like how you say a small one day race. <laughs> Most people are like, what are you talking about? The race longer than an hour is insane. Um, okay, awesome. Well, I won't get more to that in a second. Um, what did you guys do for uh, nutrition in training uh, anyways? And then we can talk about the race. Sure. Um, so in training, uh, we keep it pretty simplistic. Uh, we're big health food advocates, keeping it natural. Uh, we follow a pretty close vegan diet usually, okay. um, put salmon in there sometimes. Uh, we take fish oil supplements still, things like that. So we're not really strict, um, but we definitely like keeping it minimal um, to like ingredient wise we're putting in our body. I mean, looking at a gel just both turn their heads at that. They're absolutely disgusting in my mind, and oh, yeah. no one Agreed. likes them. If you talk to a runner and they say, I like gels, you're like, come on, man. You know, <laughs> cut the BS. None of us like gels out there. They're disgusting. So what's the alternative and, to gels um, for you? We have had, so we've done a few different things. We can make our own gels, okay. um, which you can do like coconut oil, nut butter in, um, salt, and some like cacao or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we do like dehydrated fruit. Um, we'll do trail mixes, high fat things like that. Um, I mean, come race day, we'll drop all the natural foods and just go to what has the highest calories. I mean, M&Ms, so sick of Halloween candy. Yeah. Probably for another five years after that race. Um, <laughs> but during training when you're, you know, keeping up and you need to do day-to-day -day stuff and you're okay if you're not getting the most amount of calories because you can go home that night and have a bigger dinner um but lots of anti-inflammatories too so while out on the runs we'll have 
Um, Vitargo is one drink we use, uh, carbohydrate mix, and then we'll also get an electrolyte one too. Okay. Um, and then when we come back, usually it's like something like a curry or something that's packed with uh, turmeric or anything that's anti-inflammatory for us so that the next day we can get up and keep doing the exact same thing. Gotcha. And so you don't, you usually don't feel too sore? No, I mean, yeah, after switching to a really alkaline diet with um, going on the vegetarian side, I mean, our recovery rate has skyrocketed. I mean, it's insane how great we feel um, with the foods that we're putting in us. Um, big, like, night and day difference since we started doing more veggies and lentils and things like that. Um, compared to before, I mean, we weren't big meat eaters um, when we first met. I was just doing white meats, but even cutting that stuff out, it's been huge. Yeah. I'm sure yoga comes into play, too, because I know for me, I went for, like, a two-year stretch of doing yoga every single day for at least, like, 15 minutes. Um, and I've been cutting that. For some reason, I've been slacking on that a bit. But I can tell a huge difference. If I'm doing yoga every day, I wake up and I don't feel sore at all from anything I do. So, yeah, I think that's huge. Um, did you do the treadmill at all? Just wondering. I did. I did. <laughs> well, what are your I thoughts know. on it? <laughs> Um, a few mixed thoughts. Okay. So some days, um, when doing intervals, I actually find it quite helpful because I don't, um, it depends on where I'm at. Uh, so in Chile, it was actually pretty easy to do intervals outside. Okay. Uh, we had like a long track along the beach when we we're living there. Um, sometimes I get too frustrated when I'm doing intervals and I need to stop at a red light in the middle of my go one. So hitting on an treadmill i don't have to deal with that yeah. and then also we run our races in sandals usually uh okay. tar style sandals we yeah. did do the 200 in them um but most of all of our other races we run in sandals uh so obviously living in canada that's not always viable throughout the year mm -hmm. but want to keep our feet strong so uh we'll hit the treadmill from time to time just to get work in our um zero shoes are the sandals we run in and just keep our feet strengthened and all of that. So come race season, um, it's not a big from shoe to sandals again. Yeah. Can you explain just a little bit um, for people who don't really know, but what's the kind of concept behind the sandals or behind the, like minimal, minimal padding and all that stuff? Definitely. Um, that's actually a huge thing with recovery too for us and switching to sandals. We haven't had any hip or knee problems or back or all the things that people run into usually when first getting into running. Um, so anyone that's read the book Born to Run definitely knows what I'm talking about here. Uh, the Tarumara starting uh, the whole minimalist movement, especially when it comes to ultra marathon running. Um, so essentially what it is is the sandals that you run in are four millimeters to six millimeters thick. I use a shoelace, they have other styles now to like wrap around your feet. Uh, but essentially it's making yourself strengthen your own foot arches. So you'll look at a lot of shoes out there and they hit, you go into like a running room and they're saying, hey, like these ones have wicked arch support. And it's just like, you know, my ears start bleeding because you're <laughs> looking at these people and they're saying, okay, we'll support your arch with this, but then your foot's going to get lazy. Yeah, it's going to get and weak. Then, so, yeah, pretty much. And then so when you're out of your shoe and don't have that, you experience the pain because your foot's not strengthened. It doesn't rely on its own self. So essentially with the barefoot running or the minimalist running or whatever you want to call it, it's forcing yourself to strengthen your own body. 
Um, and also for your running structure, it really helps. So your form has to fine tune itself pretty well because if you're heel slamming down on a trail and you have sandals on, it definitely doesn't feel good. It's a <laughs> lot more noticeable yeah. than if you're in big, massive shoes with arch support. So um, it's it really changed our running form when we first got into it um, from the foot strike to where our feet were landing in accordance to our hips, uh, everything like that. So um, it's kind of an overall approach of going back to the more natural way and relying a lot on your body to get you through some things and strengthening itself. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I highly recommend it. Obviously, we've been doing that for about four years now. And it's not viable running in sandals for every single race or training or environment. That's what I was going to ask. If, there was like, <laughs> if it was a really rocky race, I mean, have you ever found yourself in that situation? <sighs> Too many times. Um, <laughs> We we ran a race down in the Patagonia uh, in Chile. Uh, what was that? I think that was last year. Um, and it was freezing cold. You're going through glacier rivers, everything like that. Um, and obviously not a sandal race. Mud, too. It can't really handle that. So uh, we'll bring backup shoes. Uh, we did race in the Planet Madagascar race. Uh, so that was a 300 and or sorry, yeah, it was a seven-day stage race, about a marathon a day um, oh. across Madagascar. Okay. And you carry everything on your back for that one. And when we told the race directors we wanted to run the whole thing in sandals, they're like, eh, like, I, you're running on volcanic rock, like, sandy beaches, you guys, like, and the sand is hot there, too. Um, so we were required to bring shoes in our pack, which is smart. Um, but, like, for that race, we were able to go with a volcanic rock, um, the sandy beaches, no problem. Made it through the whole race with it, with wearing our sandals. Awesome. So you just took their, mm-hmm. you just ignore their advice, and you're, st- you went with stubbornness, which I enjoy sometimes. Pretty much, I'm a very stubborn person. <laughs> so I'm a race director's, yeah, uh, biggest concern usually out there. I mean, we're not stupid, but yeah. uh, we, we definitely like to push the limits with ourselves, and, <laughs> and you know, keeping it in the range, and we're not gonna have to call in the rescue teams for ourselves. But yeah. Uh, yeah, when you talk about sandals to a lot of people, they kind of get the gesture that it's a very particular thing you can run in, um, and that is true, but it depends on how much you train also. So yeah. um, if you've trained sand and you're running in sand within them, I mean, the benefit to them is sand gets in them, but it goes out just as fast as it gets in versus shoes that come in, but it doesn't get back out. That's it. My next race is in the desert, so that's really interesting to me. <laughs> Check the temperature, though. Oh, true. It's supposed to be like 30 degrees in the desert, so that might not be the the, the wisest move. Um, so how long from signing up from Tahoe to actually doing it? Uh, we signed up in, I think it was February, uh-huh. and the race took place in, I believe it was September or August. Um, yeah, when it was, so just a couple months ago. And so that was only um, maybe about like six six months, five yeah. or six months. Did you run a hundred in preparation for it? Um, I ran a hundred miler before that one was in South Dakota. Okay. Uh, the Lean Horse One Hundred is a great, definitely recommend it for anyone that's wanting to do their first one hundred, but not go too extreme. Yeah. Uh, really great flatter course. Um, but at that time, I definitely wasn't thinking about the 200-mile stage. I don't even know if I knew about 200 at that point, to be honest. There's only, like, three or four, right? I mean, you got yeah. Tahoe and Bigfoot, which is in Washington. And then I don't mm-hmm. know of any other ones. I know there are some, though. 
Yeah, there's a few out there now. Um, I know Candace, the race director of uh, the Tahoe and the Bigfoot, is doing a Moab one too. Okay. Not um, up in the desert. And then I'm, I think there's a few others out there, but yeah, they're slowly growing, catching more interest. Yeah. But I think two years ago when I was running my 100, I didn't know too much about 200s at that time. They're fairly new phenomenon, I think. It's one of those yeah. things people are like, 100s are too easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I asked a, uh, one of our guests, um, she runs 100s all the time. And uh, um, I asked, well... When I was running my 50 miler, people were like, you could totally run 100 if you run 50. And I'm like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? That's double. Do you understand? Like, that's two times the amount of what I just did. <laughs> so, 200, would you tell people that? If they run 100, you can totally do a 200. Absolutely. Really? 110%. Okay. Absolutely. I think it is, if you have the mental toughness to put yourself through, one of those races, whether it's 100 miles, whether it's even 80 miles, but you have that perseverance behind you, you can yeah. definitely do a 200 one. And, um, like, it is physical, obviously, but when it comes to that distance mentally, that's where it really tests you. Um, you're going to be sore after your feet are going to look like blocks of cheese. It's just not going to be pretty. But <laughs> if you have the mental toughness there and your motivation is good going into it, you can absolutely do it. Okay. I mean, I bet you could sign up tomorrow and you'd be fine. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. I, I believe I'll believe it. I'll take your word for it. Who knows after this 50-miler what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> so you showed up to the race with your husband. What's your husband's name, by the way? It's Jonathan. Jonathan. I'm bad in it. This is what I'm working on with these podcasts. Okay, cool. So you and Jonathan show up in Tahoe. Um, and how many other people are signed up for the race? I think uh, there was 105 to 110. Okay. Do you know how many ended up finishing? Um, I think it was around the 80 mark, high That's 80s. It was impressive. a pretty high finishing rate. Yeah. yeah. You have to, you have to qualify for it. Okay. Um, you have to have ran. I think it is a hundred miler before going into this one. Okay. Um, and there might be some other stipulations with it, but uh, she does a pretty good job at like screening people before coming in. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then, okay. So you start running and how, how are you feeling for the first 50 miles? G great. Actually. I mean, I had going into this one, I was so excited just to, we had a extremely stressful year moving back from Chile, finding a spot in Canada was a busy year so having a break from everything just being lost in the woods it was just oh it was a godsend so yeah. it was great uh the first 50 miles we were ahead of our split times by quite a bit getting into the first aid station super stoked we actually had a crew member for once in our life so that was a big treat um and beautiful weather off the hop it was nice um, she definitely starts you on the right foot on sending you up a ski hill um, for the first leg. Why not? <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was great. We were both in good health, um, positive vibes, awesome people out there. I mean, trail runners are just the best runners. I'm sure oh, you know. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And so were you running with anyone else at this point? Um, we were running with a couple from South Africa, actually. Yeah. Um, so they were pretty cool talking with them. Um, it's pretty funny listening to some people that ran 200s before that were out there again and looking at the pace of different people. Um, it was awesome. And it was beautiful, too. It's funny, though. We were in a cafe, I think, the day before having lunch. 
and on the cafe they had a chalkboard with a drawing of Lake Tahoe. And when we drove up to this lake, we're like, okay, this race goes around Lake Tahoe. That's what it's known for. Yeah. Drove up to this lake, and it is absolutely massive. Like, <laughs> this is an ocean. It was absolutely nuts. And so we're driving up to this lake, and we're like, holy crap, we need to run around that whole entire thing tomorrow. And so we go to this cafe, and on the chalkboard, it has the circumference of the lake. <laughs> I think it only turns out to be, like, 70 miles. Oh, really? Like, yeah, it's not that much. And so we're like, what? We need to run around this plus all these mountain ranges. And <laughs> that was a little freak-out moment. But besides that, uh, yeah. yeah, we were pretty good spirits. Were you able to sleep the night before? Oh, yeah. I was oh, out. Wow. I nice. was out, like, okay. No intimidation. Yeah. I like it. No, I mean, for this one, the other races, the 100-miler, definitely nervous before that. But yeah. with the 200-miler, I'm like, I have four days to get nervous, so let's just not start on day one. That's true. Day three while I'm racing, then I can get get nervous. Yeah, so what's the cutoff time for it? Um, 100 hours. 100 hours, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you're, when you're going, are the aid stations, I mean, how many miles between aid stations? 10, 12? Um, yeah, there were some that were a bit less. I mean, I think the really? shortest one was around seven miles. Yeah, it was pretty close on that one. But then there were some that were up to, like, I think 24 okay. miles. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. So they do a really good job organizing that then, sounds like. Oh, yeah. Candace and her team, I think it's Destination Trails that works with it, did a really great job. Um, well organized. I mean, she's an ultra runner herself. So when you get that as a race director, um, you're in for a pretty good race because they've been out there. They know what's good at aid stations, um, everything like that. It was it was well organized. Yeah. Did you uh, did you sleep at all the first night? Um, I think we slept one hour. In the total, the race took us 90 hours, one minute and 36 seconds. <laughs> and I think within that, we got a total of around six hours of sleep. Wow. Okay. So what are the sleep stations like? I mean, Uh, are they comfortable at all or? (laughs) There was a few sleep stations. So you have like a option. There's some sleep stations that are close by one another because the faster pack gets the last one and slower pack at the first. Um, So some sleep stations were um, set up with tents and sleeping bags and things like that. Great. I mean, you're going into this big communal tent you hear people snoring and all that and you think oh like how am i gonna fall asleep you're so exhausted though as soon as you hit that pillow you're out um so no problem there but then there's other stations where we decide to sleep even though they weren't a sleep station um so yeah. for those we just crashed in our cruise car and that was like one of the worst sleeps of my life like highly just sleep on the concrete way better the trail what, what, what kind of car did they have yeah, what was it? I think it was, it was like a big car. I think it was something like a RAV4 type of style okay. thing. So in the front seat, we climbed the seat completely backwards and still wasn't good enough. Well, I got to imagine your body is just like in so much pain at that point that going to sleep even on a comf- like the comfiest bed of all time would be impossible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even just, I don't know, some like gravel sometimes just looks so comfy. Yeah. All right. So... If you haven't ran an ultra before, you, I guess here's how I've prepared people for ultras. is I just tell them, be ready to be in a tremendous amount of pain, right? So <laughs> for pain tolerance, you're, you're probably constantly like blocking it out, you know, motivating yourself through it or just running through it or just dealing with it. 
But um, did pain ever get the better of you during the race? You know what? This this race, I didn't experience a lot of pain. Um, really? I was really lucky. I, I think I had so much motivation behind this one and mentally prepared for a lot more than any of my other races. Yeah. That this one is one of the ones I probably experienced the least amount of pain or at least let it get to me. Um, it might have been a mental thing where I was able to block it out more than other races. Of course, you're experiencing a lot of pain during these. Um, yeah. So to say that I went through painless would be a complete lie um, <laughs> but I was able to block it out a lot more and not let it bug me as much um, just because my motivation and the optimism I tried to keep during the whole race just automatically blocked that out for me I mean upon finishing the next day like tons of pain oh, yeah. you're not feeling great um, but during it it was pretty good I, I mean we got some blisters just running in shoes okay um pack rubbing the usual stuff but there was nothing that either of us ran into that was debilitating okay so how did you deal with uh blisters did you have a plan going in and uh, no no <laughs> <laughs> i mean we had blister kits uh with us on the trails they had medical crews at the aid stations which were great uh i mean we got to the last aid station um of the entire race and I had a massive blister form coming into that one. And the guy was like, okay, like, do you want me to, like, disinfect it and, like, wrap it really good? I'm like, no, just, like, make it a horrendous wrapping as long as there's lots of cushion on the bottom. And it'll get me to the finish line. Yeah. And the you should have seen the job on this. I mean, kudos to a doctor for just letting me boss him around and tell him, like, don't, like, put any septics on it. Just, what mile like, was this? This was mile, I think it was... Maybe like nine or eighty-eight or or not eighty-eight one or oh, okay. let's go with like one ninety-two. Oh, okay, so okay, okay. That's better. Yeah, I was super stubborn. Or I actually, was, I think it was even closer than that to the finish. So you're just um, like, I can do eight more miles. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, just make it like super cushiony on the bottom, so I don't feel too much of it, and then we'll fix it at the end. So my feet at the end were not that pretty with tape all over and dirt, but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Um, so when you're, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier, just like Halloween candy and all that stuff. Did you ever like sit down and just have a meal? Yes. Okay. Um, actually guacamole was awesome on that race. It's always awesome. Oh, so good. <laughs> what a, what a great thing to have out there. Um, yeah, we had, I don't like to eat a lot when I'm running, um, but yeah. during this race, you almost have to force yourself to. You're burning through so much. Yeah. Uh, so we had we had meals, but in really small portions. So um, quesadillas. Uh, we had one night uh, lentil soup, banana bread type of thing. Um, yeah, guacamole wraps. I mean, yeah. I ate so much guacamole on this race, and I never regretted it once. It was so great. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we had soup, um, like vermicelli bowls, uh, things like that. Yeah. And they had other stuff there. Like my husband is great with his stomach. He was able to eat like black bean burgers and everything like that. It was good. Yeah. Okay. So was guacamole and soup, you don't have to chew. I mean, does that make a difference for you when you can just take in as much as possible without wasting energy or did that not even uh, come into your mind? 
that didn't really come into mind just because like coming out of the aid stations, you can walk for a bit and, yeah. you know, let it digest. Um, during a shorter race where you're going a faster pace, definitely it does come into mind, like yeah. what's liquid or what's easily digestible. But after a while, sometimes you're like, I just want to like chew something. I mean, same thing with the gel. I don't know how people just have gels oh, their entire race. I've tried like, it. I've oh. tried it and I always struggle with it. I think during yeah. my 50 miler, my plan was just to be super ridiculously stubborn and be like, I'm just going to eat a gel every 20 minutes and I'll be good. And about 30 miles in, I just stopped eating completely, which you know how that goes. It doesn't, it doesn't end well. And the last 15 miles of it was just extremely painful because of that. Yeah, <laughs> you, can't, you just can't, you can't eat them. It gives you a huge stomach ache and, uh, oh. and then you think about it later and it's like, Oh man, how did I even do that? <laughs> oh, I know. And you look at the ingredients in them and uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't do it. Well, that's and, right. Yeah, I've noticed myself, I've done that too, where leading up to a race, I eat so ridiculously clean. Hmm. But then during the race, I'm just like, well, I'm going to eat whatever I want now. And of course, that destroys my stomach most of the way, <laughs> you know, almost instantaneously. And <laughs> that's something I'm working on and just kind of experimenting and figuring out what works for me. Um, Definitely. Yeah. You need to like train it, train it as much as you're training like your body and your legs, like train what you're going to eat like yeah. if you're don't try to like always brand new stuff during the races i mean sometimes it will come and you'll like try a candy bar and it'll work out great other times like it's gonna it's gonna hit you because you've never even ate it in your life let alone while you're running yeah. a race so yeah i mean on this training runs definitely like take out some things that you're curious like hey could i use this on a race and see how you feel well and i always say almost it's almost my inspiration to do a training run as ridiculous as that sounds, where I don't drink pop or what do you guys call it? Soda? You call it soda or pop? Pop. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, I don't drink pop at all during the year, but if I'm doing a long run or my longest run, I'll drink a pop halfway through and it's awesome. It tastes amazing at the time. And so it's just a little reward to get me to actually get up and go out and do it. Because mm -hmm. honestly, the the race never seems as hard because you're excited for it, but the long run when you're just by yourself and you have to wake up on a Sunday early in the morning and you have to drag yourself into the woods to do a long run, that's when it's really difficult. So if you can get by that, the race will be no problem, is what I tell, usually tell people. Um, exactly. So how did you break the race down? I mean, did you look at it in manageable segments? Mm -hmm. uh, so we had it down to aid stations okay um and looking at especially okay what's at that aid station is it just water is it full aid is it crew access is it a sleep station how long is it to the next one type of thing because that tells you okay how much do i need to eat before then what time of the day is it going to be is it going to be hot what's the gear i need to take to the next one will i need my headlamp at this one to the following one um and then also gives you an idea of time-wise. So especially if you're in a race that has time limits, you really got to figure out, okay, where are my cutoffs? And ideally, when do I want to get there and what's my buffer time between that? Um, so what we did was we broke down every single aid station um, and looked at what time we wanted to get there realistically. Um, obviously, you always want to make it like the fastest time possible, but if yeah. you do that, you're going to discourage yourself pretty fast. So... Uh, we broke it down that way and then just had a copy with us 
uh, took a picture on the phone, and then also had on uh, each aid station bag, we had our pre-geared food to go. So just in Ziploc bags, you're like, hey, at this these are the foods we want to avail at this aid station. So our crew could just hand us that. And then on each of those bags, it would tell us how far it is to the next aid station. Um, just so we kind of had a heads up and an idea of what we were getting into for the next leg. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> that sounds, I just can't, I'm trying to like wrap my head around this. And was there, okay, so what was your slowest mile? <laughs> Do you know? Do you remember? I'm sure it was up some hill, but... I don't know, but I could probably tell you. I can't confirm this is it, but I'm about 98% sure this is it. So there's a thing called the power line climb, and within 1.2 miles, you gained 1,500 feet. <laughs> okay, that was it. That was definitely the slowest one. That was probably the slowest one, yeah. What, uh, when, so when when you got like down in the dumps or you're bonking, what did your husband do to pick you up? Um, one time he sang Lion King to me. That always works, ladies. So if you're ever in a bonk, get your husband to sing a Lion King song to you. I think Which he song? did the one. It was the one, um, or oh, I don't I think it was the song. It was the quote, uh, Step lively now. The, fa- or the faster we go, the sooner we're at the water hole, which kind of made sense as the aid station. That made sense. Yeah, it worked. Um, yeah. It got a smile on my face. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what he usually does is it's just like a check-in, uh, knows when I just don't want to talk to anyone, um, just kind of getting in my own zone yeah. and um, staying optimistic, right? We'll, like, point out, like, hey, check out over to the right. Like, look at the sunset. And sometimes okay. that doesn't work. But, you know, just reminding each other, like, hey, why are we out here? Why are you doing this? And, like, you know, how lucky we are to have the bodies that can yeah. be capable of doing this. That usually works. Figuring out when your wife wants to be left alone is probably in the top five skills a husband can have. And so I'm sure this is why this is so beneficial that you guys did this together. I mean, yeah. that's something I'm sure during training he figured out and he's like, okay, I'm going to put this skill into <laughs> use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, all right, well, she gives me those eyes. That's a no go. And yeah. um, <laughs> other times it's okay. So yeah, he's fine tuned it pretty well. That's awesome. So what did you do when he was bonking? Um, he's definitely the kind of guy where you need to leave alone for the beginning, um, needs to figure out what's going on in his own head. And that makes sense, right? Like when you're trying to figure out like, Hey, why am I feeling like this? Someone else trying to coach you through it just doesn't make sense. Um, so I'd give him the time to, you know, figure that out. And then usually if it was a pretty serious one, that's like setting them down, not worrying about how fast we're going, letting people pass. And it's like, figuring it out, clearing up, and then get going again. Um, You know, same thing, just like pointing out all the positive things you can while you're out there and not being over chipper because it just gets annoying and you see the person trying to do it. But being genuine about it, um, that's pretty sweet. And making sure to know what they look forward to. So he, for example, loves chocolate pretzels. And so we never get chocolate pretzels. So reminding him Mm -hmm. on one leg when he was bonking and like, you know your chocolate pretzels are waiting for you at the next aid station. <laughs> that one worked like a charm. Yeah. Great. What What other rewards? Um, did you set up rewards along the way, like mile fifty, mile hundred? 
Yes, we had um, new socks at some, which is the best feeling. Oh, yeah. Um, good thing to look forward to. Uh, another treat, chocolate-covered espresso beans for the nighttime. Okay. Great choice uh, if you don't like drinking coffee or you just don't want something hot. Um, M&M's uh, and Reese's Pieces. I mean, those are things we, like, are taboo to us. So having those on the race available to us was definitely something we looked forward to yeah. quite a bit. Almost inspiration to run more of those races, right? Pretty much, right? I mean, you think of those finish line cookies, and you're like, oh, That's yeah. I always say, like, I think, honestly, I think I run these races just to have pizza and beer guilt-free at the end. Yeah. I honestly think that's a in top five motivations for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned hallucinations. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> when did the hallucinations start? <laughs> and what were the hallucinations? <laughs> <laughs> when did they start? I can't tell you that exactly because I don't know if some of the stuff before that was hallucinations and I still think it's true. Okay. Um, such as? Such as... I mean, there'd be, like, small things where you'd be, like, my husband stopped me one time and grabbed my shoulder. Wait, Melissa. It's like, do you see that over there? He's like, is that a bear or is that a log? I'm like, And I had to look, too. I'm like, it's definitely a log. But, like, I had to do a second-guess thing. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, yeah, you just be, like, walking along. You're like, oh, you know, there's some people, like, in a um, colonial carriage in the middle of the, like, forest, but you wouldn't be phased by it. That was the weird thing. Like, if I actually had saw that, I'd be like, what the heck are these people doing here? But, I mean, just seeing it while you're in that state, you're just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Or, oh, look, it's like a polar bear on that rock. Or um, the craziest one was, I think these were getting past the... I think these are around like the 80 mile marker or 100 mile marker continuing forward just because you're so deprived on sleep. Um, but one of the ones was my husband was just so tired going into this one aid station, like completely bonking. And in the forest, I, he was following me and looking back and his head was just kind of bobbing side to side and poles kind of swinging, not in the way they should be swinging. And I was like, how are you feeling? He's like, yeah, I, like, I'm good. Like, it's just weird. Like, the, our whole trail right now is all, like, pictures, like a big picture collage. It's kind of cool, hey? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the trail we're running on. It's like all of our pictures are in a collage on this trail. And so, I mean, at that point, I was like, okay, like, you need to sit down, take a little breather. <laughs> and then when I got him to sit down and start talking, his eyelids would start, like, closing, but he'd still continue talking and stuff like that. Um and, um, yeah, I mean, that was, like, one of the weirdest ones just because I didn't know how to handle that. It's like, no, it's not a bear. It's, like, picture collages. Didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah, no, it's not a bear is really easy to uh, to yeah. just count. You're like, that's obviously not a bear, <laughs> but mm-hmm. picture, <laughs> picture yeah, collages picture. Is, is kind of a whole nother thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, who hallucinated more? Him. Oh, yeah? Easily, yeah. Yeah. Just because of yeah. the weird picture collage trippiness or? Yeah, that. And I think there's a few times where, like, you kind of look back and you'd see him, like, staring off. You're like, I think he's like, has an eye on something. Or, um, yeah, I think we were pretty both, like, bonked out in a few sections. But yeah. maybe I just kept a bit more of my hallucinations to myself unfairly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's no fun. I think part of the fun would be sharing what you're seeing, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
And we ran into some people out there that were like hallucinating. Before that power line climb, there was one guy that had not slept. And I think this was past like the, I think this was like night three and he hadn't slept a single minute since starting the race, which is like, I would not recommend after seeing this guy. And he was just like out of it, like asking where the train was. Um, oh, you know, no. markers were right in front of him. He's like, well, you know which way the like choruses are like, buddy, like, the like marker is right there. And like, you know, when you get to that point, it's a bit worrisome because you're like, he is yeah. just so disoriented. Yeah. Uh, but then other people, I mean, had some pretty like funny hallucinations after like one guy was getting chased by penguins. He thought, um, another guy thinking he saw Elvis on the lake playing his guitar. Yeah, he might've. Uh, like, he might have. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. There are penguins in Tahoe, and Elvis did come back. So. Just, just to play the guitar in the lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did it, I mean, that seems almost dangerous to be hallucinating at night in the mountains. Yeah, there's a there's a fine line. Um, again, it was nice that we have each other to kind of like yeah. snap each other out of it and be like, no, those aren't like diamonds in the rocks. Like it'd be great <laughs> if they were, but they're definitely not. Um, but yeah, after seeing that other guy, you're kind of like, uh, it's a fine line to play with. Yeah. Um, and you can have really good trips by the sound of it. <laughs> like Elvis on a lake. I would Sweet. love that. Yeah. But then you're like that other guy that's, you know, just has no idea where the trail is. You can get off course pretty easily. Um, then it's not as not as fun of an experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, I'm distracted. My, uh, I can hear my child out in the in the other room with my mom right now. Um, <laughs> grandma's figuring out how hard it is to take care of two of them. So, because I'm an only child, so she had it. She had it easy. Let me say. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, all right. So hallucinations. Definitely want to hear about them. Um. Were they just at night, or were they... No, during the day, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I understand at night where you're, you know, perceiving different objects as Elvis or a carriage or something, but, wow. Is it yeah. just from sleeplessness? Like, almost like you're dreaming? Yeah, it's kind of, like... Uh, I don't know. It's just, like, almost like blurry vision sometimes. It's not, like, blurry in the way they can't see what's ahead of you, but... You're just not as, you know, quick on your feet for thinking or um, even when you're walking around sometimes and you're like fully into it, like, hey, go on a run tomorrow. And if I don't see something clearly, I can like accidentally think like, whoa, okay, like look back and like thought it was a car there or something yeah. like that. And so while you're fully alert, you're easy to catch those things. But yeah. when you're, you know, haven't slept for 50 hours or something like that, then you a are just too lazy to actually care if it is true or not, and yeah. then b I, you can't even figure it out if you did care, type <laughs> of thing. So it kind of kind of runs into a combo of all of those. Yeah, awesome. So, um, can you describe the last mile of the race? Oh, joyous and long at the same time. Yeah. Um, coming up from the last aid station. Uh, you go up with this Jeep trail is what they called it at the race briefing. And they all laughed after saying like, yeah, you just go up this Jeep trail, you <laughs> summit the mountain that you first started on and you head back down to um, the resort where the finish line is. Yeah. 
And um, one person called them like, hey, why are you guys all laughing at this like Jeep trail thing? What's so funny about that? And, you know, tells what we're getting into. They're like, well, I never, I don't think a Jeep could actually ever make it up this trail, <laughs> this Jeep road. And it totally made sense at the start. We're like, oh, yeah, totally. A Jeep could handle this. There's a bit of up and down, some bigger rocks. And you get to this one phase where you're holding on to the rock above you and trying to pull yourself up. I mean, it was so steep. I have no idea how any car, quad, anything could get up this road. Um, so we get up to the top. Obviously, hitting a summit, you think it's a summit, but it's always a false summit. Always. Every mountain time. climbing. Every time. Heads up for anyone doing any mountain run. Oh, totally. It's never true. And if it is, then do that race again. Um, but we hit a few false summits. And then we get to the top. And the whole race, not a speck of rain. We get to the last summit at the top and about to start heading down. It's on a ski hill. So you're almost heading down this what seems like a black diamond run the whole entire time downhill. And uh, it starts snowing and hailing. Uh, so that was a bit of an interesting factor up at the top of a mountain and then some uh, lightning clouds in the distance. So we booked our butts down. Um, but what was funny is you're coming down exactly the first climb you came up at the beginning of the race. And it took us, I think, 30% longer to get downhill than we, we were coming uphill at the beginning of the race. Uh, just to give a bit of perspective of what's happened to your body by that point. Um, but the last mile was all dreaming about, you know, what we're going to eat when we finish. And, I mean, for us at that point, food wasn't the most important thing. It was sleep. Yeah. Uh, that was the biggest deprivation. And then we kept checking the clock, though, and we were at 88 hours and 56 minutes at the first point we checked. And we're like, holy crap, we might be able to sub 90 hours this. Yeah. We kept going down, and it was like 89 hours and 20 minutes. And then that's when we got really serious. We're like, okay, I think we can break 90 hours. Like, if we keep at this pace, we'll get to the finish line by that point. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. And so we're going, we're going, and we have 15 minutes left, then we have five minutes left, and then a mile from the finish line, in the middle of the trail, we see this little white side and this stool. We go up to the sign that says, one mile to the finish line, enjoy the tequila aid station. And right behind the white sign was tequila and fireball and shot glasses. We're like, okay, we either stop here and enjoy some shots and don't break sub-90 hours, or we just, like, breeze on past and we'll get that sub-90 hour thing. Obviously, we stopped and Obviously. took the shot. You got to do mean, what's good for the spirit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a no-brainer at that point. Um, so we ended up finishing in 90 hours, 1 minute, and 36 <laughs> seconds. And it was the best well-spent minute, 36 seconds, taking totally. the tequila shot. Oh man, did that did that kill the pain any at all? Just I mean, I guess one, but you're on nine yeah. hours. <laughs> one at the the last one mile was pretty painless. Yeah. Okay. So when you finished, what was, I mean, what was going through your head? Did you get emotional, or were you just ready for sleep? Yeah, I was so tired. I I thought I'd get emotional um, because it was a pretty big feat. It was you know a long time being out there, but. I just wanted sleep. I mean, we sat down, got some blankets. They had some pizza there and beer and all of that. Um, but at that time, I think it was around like three o'clock in the morning, so we were pretty tired, obviously, but cold too. Oh, wow. um, so ate some stuff pretty quickly just to get in our stomachs yeah. and then headed to get dry clothes. I was so cold though that I was like hobbling over the car with my poles and my pack and 
I was like, okay, I just need to sit in the front seat for a little bit, warm up, and then I'll get my bag in the back and then go change and hit the hay. By the time I sat in the front seat, just knocked out. I think I was in mid-sentence and, like, head thrown back. Um, They had to wake me up again and be like, okay, you know, like, let's get changed and let's get inside and all that. But I was just, oost. Did did you stay, like, right by the finish line? Did you have a Um, hotel or a cabin or something? Yeah, so the finish line was actually a ski resort. Okay. Um, so the actual finish line ended right under a chairlift, and then the cabin or the lodge gotcha. um, is where we were able to crash. So we just laid on the ground with some sleeping bags and slept for four hours, which didn't seem like a lot, but at that time, uh, four hours was just joyous. Yeah. So how much did you sleep over the next day? Oh, my gosh. Over the next month. I mean, trying to... <laughs> Oh, trying to catch up on sleep was so hard. Uh, my body felt way better than my mind did um, sooner after the race. Really? It was um, the next day I slept about, I think it was eight hours, so not that long, uh-huh. um, but just so tired. I mean, waking up from those eight hours, I could have slept another eight hours, but yeah. uh, we had family there. We were only in Tahoe a bit longer, and the kicker was we drove down to Tahoe, <laughs> so to get back to Canada in time, we couldn't, you know, just sleep for a couple of days. Uh, so the month after the race is pretty difficult. Uh, I was tired within an hour waking up um that hit my body a lot harder than i thought that was something that lasted a long long time um and trying to catch up while sleeping your normal amount of hours each night was really difficult yeah what uh i mean i gotta imagine the drive back to canada didn't feel too good (laughs) on your body either no (laughs) that sucked because i just just drove 24 hours because we just recently moved from virginia to colorado and I drove the 24 hours, but it was over three days because I'm a cat with me. But uh, <laughs> anyways, then I got to uh, I got to Colorado and I tried to do the same workouts I was doing and some ab exercises and just threw my back out. And uh, I asked my friend and he said, yeah, my friend's a, a PhD in exercise science. So uh, he was like, yeah, you're sitting the whole time and your uh, muscles are shortened on your I mean, he can explain this a lot better. Like your IT bands are shortened, and then when you do an ab exercise, you stretch them out, and it just pulls your back. So I don't know. Did you go any, uh, go through anything like that? Um, definitely more stiffness. Okay. Um, after a race, I always recommend to people like get your feet up, get them elevated, um, get the inflammation out. So it was like, you know, draining out um, with it, and so having your feet down the whole time. Um, yeah was pretty painful i had massive feet like absolutely no even sense of like feminine feet there just big clobber messes and um those are pretty painful like walking around (laughs) it obviously yeah your hip flexors with sitting i mean even day-to-day sitting people at an office job know that if you're sitting a long time your hip flexors don't feel like best your back everything like that just the postures we have when we're sitting in a classic chair aren't the best let alone while we're driving let alone when your body's just so fatigued um so it definitely didn't help. Um, would prefer to fly next time, absolutely. Um, but we had some rollers in the car. That's one thing we always carry with us. Uh, we like we use um, Adaday is a really good one. They have they make these rollers that are a bit smaller than the actual sticks. 
So you can just keep them in your cup holders or anything like that, just little balls. And we were able to work our um, quads or our VMO and stuff like that while on the car rides. Uh, so that helped out a, a, a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you guys just pick out the whole road trip back? <laughs> um, pretty much. I mean, we had, but our pig out is like, oh my gosh, we're going to get the pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty like pathetic in some people's eyes. Um, and like the thing too, is you feel better physically and mentally sooner when you're getting more nutrition in. That's true. Um, so we had our little day of celebration, but yeah. we didn't abuse it too much. That's, um, that's a wise move that most people don't don't necessarily do. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, celebrate after your race, you know, go out for beer, have the pizza. Like you said, that's why most people race anyways, to <laughs> eat that guilt-free. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, uh, four weeks after your 15K run might be the time to start cutting down on, like, your cheat meals from your race celebration. <laughs> Definitely. What? Um, how long until, like, how did you just take a month off, two months, a couple weeks? Um, we took off, um, I think it was about two weeks of running, um, okay. and then just started doing like recovery runs during that time we were doing, um, so for the first week after the race, we did a lot of recovery yoga. So flexibility, everything like that. We really believe in that. Um, even though there's some controversy on whether you should stretch after running or not. Um, and then we got into strength yoga after okay. that, uh, quite a bit. And then after that, uh, we introduced running back into the mix. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sure people have asked you this like a billion times, but what's what is the what's the next like logical step after 200? Because best of my knowledge, they don't have 300s yet. <laughs> they have thousand milers. Do they really? No, they don't. Yeah, we were. I think there is one up in the Yukon. Um, I forgot the name of it. My husband found it, and it actually like, piqued both, both of our interests uh, right course, now. Of course it did. <laughs> just, just a little bit, not too much. But with the amount of, like, timing and planning that one takes, it is in February. Uh, so it's a bit too short notice from what we found. Uh, so next year what we're going to be focusing on is um, looking at uh, doing a few more smaller races. Yeah. Uh, so we have – Everything from 50Ks to um, 100 miler in there. Um, And then we'll just do a bit more of those. And then 2018 is where we'll look at some um, tougher 100 milers. So Hurt 100, the one in Hawaii, is what we've been really interested in. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, Hard Rock? Hard Rock, absolutely. I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat if I got into it. Okay, so my running dream is to. Not necessarily run Hard Rock at this point, but to be on someone's crew. So if you need a crew, I live in Colorado. I would love to help you guys out in Hard Rock. That would be sweet. I just want to see the course. Absolutely. I will keep you in mind. If we get into that, you're the first guy I'll call. Okay, sweet. Also, uh, a 1,000-mile race in the Yukon, and you said in February? It's Yeah, it's in the winter, too. Um, And it's one (laughs) where you can... I think you have the mixture of being able to run, but bike, so fat tire bike, obviously, okay. and ski. Um, so it's not just purely running, but they do have a straight out running one. Um, and I think it's around a 200 to 300 mile race. Um, so 
that may be on the list. And the funny thing is I hate the winter. Like if you look at the races we've done, we've been to Costa Rica, Madagascar. Yeah. Um, it's all warm weather. So that yeah. one would be a, a big mental challenge for me since I'm not a fan of the cold. <laughs> In Canada, no less. It's coming from Canada, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So last thing I want to ask you, is there is there any other endurance event that you just think is absolutely crazy and you'll never do? Um, no, not really. I mean, I've tried out, I mean, everyone has their thing right out there and it's really hard to understand why people are doing it. Um, what's the motivation behind it? And a lot of times, I mean, I've met friends or people that are doing something like ultra running because they're coming out of a drug addiction, right? And you're like, well, okay, some people think you're crazy for running, you know, that distance. But if you knew the guy, then he's like running. The alternative for him is, you know, drugs. So, I mean, judging him on the ultra running is just nonsense. And, I mean, there are some crazy things out there, like the base jumping. I'm like, I would probably kill myself, obviously. But if you're trained in it and yeah. that's what motivates you in life, that's what gets you up in the morning, you're inspiring people, you're living life to the fullest, you're getting outdoors. I mean, you can't really complain about that. And, um it's easy to knock those people down that are pushing the limits out there. Um, but a lot of people aren't knocking the people down that are staying 14 hours at the office, sitting, eating crap. I mean, those got to be targets too, right? So um, there's nothing I would call exactly crazy. There's some things where I'm like, I don't know if I can do that, but yeah. I would love to try it. Um, you know, the deep water diving, I can barely hold my breath, like in the bathtubs, let alone doing that would be insane. Um, but I mean, they're going out there living life pretty, pretty high into the fullest. So kudos to them. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Melissa. I really enjoyed it. Hard Rock 100. Hard Rock 100. (laughs) I got you down on my notebook. You're good. Okay. (laughs) Thanks again to Melissa for joining me for that conversation on on the podcast this week. Especially this week, uh, being the week after Thanksgiving, we just stuffed ourselves silly, ate way too many pieces of pie. I've just eaten banana bread, cheesecake. I mean, anything you can imagine, really. Um, So maybe this podcast will be an inspiration to sign up for something challenging, sign up for something to train for. give you some hope for uh you know staying healthy through the through the holiday seasons as always you can find all of our podcasts on our website www.likeabigfoot.com you can go on itunes uh subscribe uh, hit the little subscribe button and it'll just pop up on your phone every week um or you can go to soundcloud and look up like a bigfoot next week we are talking to peter majeric the producer of the web series American Football, which you can find on YouTube under uh, the Kick TV channel. And we'll be talking about his experience quitting a perfectly good job, putting a relationship on hold for four months as him and three friends traveled all through, I think it's like 7,000 miles through Latin America ending in Brazil for the World Cup, filming a documentary that basically is the Anthony Bourdain of soccer. So with the premise of how does soccer affect 
all these different cultures in Latin America and how can we bring that to the United States to form our own soccer culture. It's another really great story and something that inspires me. If I think of the friends who have really inspired me to go after my own dreams and my own goals, Peter is definitely on the top of that list. So look for that next Monday and I promise you, you won't be disappointed. You will be inspired. Uh, and check out those those clips online. But thanks for listening. And as always, make sure you're going after your own goals. Do something hard. Put in the hard work. Don't be a couch potato. We had last week, Thanksgiving week, to be couch potatoes. Don't be a couch potato this week. And uh, yeah, just go get after it.